Our Father and our God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word. Thank you for all we've learned so far. Thank you that today we get to take yet another step into your word as we explore and we try to understand what it means, what it meant then and what it means for us even today. I pray that even as we work through the texts, I pray that there is clarity. I pray that the truth of your word shines bright in our hearts. And I pray that questions are answered and Jesus is glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So, hi, everyone that's here today. Hi, everyone that will probably listen to this at some point maybe in the week or whenever you listen to this. Um, We're going to continue right from where we stopped. Don't worry, today I don't have any introduction. I have nothing. We're just going back (laughs) into the text. And um, just so that we remind ourselves where we are, where we are, we stopped at 1 Corinthians 9 verse... What verse did we stop? (laughs) What verse I'm going to start from? verse 16 i believe yes um and big context first corinthians is written as a response letter to the people or the believers in the church of corinth answering many issues that they had in their local assembly as we've started to see most of these issues are actually because of poor theology or rather um you could call it um should i say immaturity in the sense in which There were many things that they ought to have prioritized that they didn't. One of which was the unity of the church. One of which was um, uh, sexual purity. One of which was how to respond to sin in the body. And now we are in another issue again. So we've looked at division over men. We've looked at how to respond to unrepentant sinners in the body. We've looked at how believers ought to settle disputes. We've looked at um, the place for sexual immorality. We've looked at marital issues um, generally in the church. And we started a new one two weeks ago, I believe, um, on food offered to idols. And like I've said every single time, the emphasis or most of the things you're going to learn from a book like 1 Corinthians, it's not necessarily in the practical answers to certain issues so it's not that um uh oh there's nothing wrong in eating food offered to idols and but i should know that even though that is there right but what i want you to pay attention to is how paul arrived at those answers and so for instance when we talked about dividing over paul or kephas or apollos right how did paul show that that kind of thinking was wrong we spent a great deal of time talking about um, how God has built up his church, how God has given gifts to everybody, how God has has um, designed the body in such a way that we all can receive from one another. And it's not a comp- it's not it's not a ground for we're not fighting, we're not competing, or oh, who is who is more eloquent, who is who is a better speaker, who is a better preacher, and all of that. Nah, none of that there. We talked about 
um, how to deal with unrepentant sin in the body. We talked about, for instance, in marriage, what marriage really looks like and what how issues that come up in marriage should be resolved. And even now, when it comes to, to issues around food, like I said, the, the, the major point Paul is emphasizing is not about whether you should be vegan or not. There are much more, there are much more deeper issues than that, which is a heart that is willing to put others first, even when you are not necessarily wrong or you're even right. It's a right you can claim, but you're willing to forego it for the sake of something greater. In this case, the unity of the church and the salvation or the integrity of the faith of the person who is observing you. So I what I hope is that as we listen to these teachings and as we go through issue after issue after issue after issue beyond just the practicality of that issue you are able to pick the heart of the message that Paul is trying to communicate and I hope that that's been the case so far so like I said two weeks ago we started on the issue we're currently on which is that Corinth being a very very idolatrous nation or city rather and you have people who just got saved right there are many people who were once idol worshippers who once um, offered me to the temple served maybe some of them were even priests in the temple these people ate food that had been offered to Zeus or Athena or whatnot right and now they are saved and their conscience is super sensitive to such things right whenever they see any meat that has been offered to an idol they're like oh my god I remember, it brings it's like PTSD, like, oh my goodness. I remember when I used to do this and they weren't comfortable eating such food, right? And there were then some other sets of believers who knew, right, in quotes, right, knew. And we talked about knowledge and love two weeks ago, so you could go back to that. But who knew that, okay, there is no such thing as an idol and it really doesn't matter even if the food has been offered to Shongo, I can bless it eat it and give god thanks nothing like me eating food has nothing to do with my spiritual integrity right um they knew that but at what cost at what cost they didn't care that there were some people that if they see if you see brother john huh? i saw him eating that meat that day and it hurts their consciences all of a sudden it makes them question whether it's okay to do it even though they still think it's a sin and Paul, the, the, the emphasis of that teaching, I think that was two weeks ago, was that because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And one thing we said very clearly was that weak and strong in this context had nothing to necessarily do with devotional consistency. It had nothing to do with, oh, you're, you're, you're a new believer, so you're weak. No, it had to do with knowledge as pertaining to moral or to, to issues in general and so where there's no sin but you see sin because of your conscience you are weak right that's that's literally what it means and we give examples like dressing or um, piercings or tattoos or drinking and all these other things which you can't make a biblical case emphasis on biblical case you can use the bible but it's not going to be biblical to prove that it's sinful. However, it's possible because of culture or what or misinterpretation of scripture for you to still think 
that what is not actually sinful is sinful, right? It's kind of like when Peter is trying to argue with God over what is lawful and what is not. You are arguing with the one who gave you the law that no, I cannot eat pork. Don't you know the law, God? I cannot eat pork. And God is like, don't call unclean. What I've called clean. And of course, there's even though there's the food aspect, there was more the people aspect and whatnot. That's not the teaching for today. But the point there was, because Paul was a Jew, right? You don't stop being a Jew when you get saved. I hope we know that. But because Paul was, sorry, Peter was a Jew, right? He had Jewish um, biases to certain foods as a Jew. Right? And there were many Jewish Christians that because they became Christians doesn't mean that all of a sudden they were comfortable eating food that were that eating, let's say, shrimp or or eating pork or eating what squids or something like that. They were like, no, I can't eat, or eating um food that has blood, like our people do, right? Medium rare, rare. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I have still not tried it. Maybe I'll try it one day. And I, I can't bring myself to knowing that. It wasn't properly cooked. I'm a Jew in that regard. But um, they'll be like, no, I can't do this. And some of them might even think it's a sin, whereas it's not. And in that context, what are they? They are weak. They are weak. And we've looked at how to handle weak believers in the church. First of all, we, we looked at protecting their consciences before then exposing them to truth. And many times, like I said, exposure to truth doesn't mean that they become comfortable with it. And then you have to respect it as a personal conviction for them, which is totally fine, right? We looked at all of that. And then last week, we started 1 Corinthians 9, where we started to see how Paul uses himself as an example of how every believer should be willing to give up their rights if it would lead to the benefit of the church, whether it would lead to someone an unbeliever getting saved or a believer growing in salvation. If that's the case, and as long as it doesn't violate your faith, you should be willing to give it up or you should be willing to do it, right? Sometimes it might be that you have to do something you might not want to do. And then we started, the biggest example Paul gave was what? Ministry. Ministry. We looked at how pastors being rewarded or being gifted right financially materially for their labor is not necessarily a gift they deserve it if anything it's it's wages for well earned for for, for labor it's well deserved wages right these are people that ought to at least if it's a good pastor should spend hours in the work should spend time praying for the flock should spend time checking over people oh how are you doing how was your week how is devotion how can i help you counseling people making help resolving disputes helping people walk in the spirit it's a full-time job in fact it's more than a nine to five i know a couple um full-time pastors personally and i know the amount of work that goes into doing that kind of thing right and so paul is like emphasis on verse 11 first corinthians 9 11 if we have sown spiritual things for you is it a great thing if we reap your material things and that's the emphasis that even though yes ministers of the gospel deserve verse 14 as the lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel right so they deserve that that um 
recompense, if you want to use that word. However, Paul is like, because there was the possibility of some people saying, ah, Paul is collecting money. Paul is just doing this as a money-making scheme, right? Because there was the possibility that for some people, Paul collecting money from the very people he's preaching to would be a hindrance to the gospel. He said, you know what? From you guys, I'm not going to collect anything. I'm going to preach the gospel here, but I'm going to work as well to to support myself so that no one would use um, money as an excuse for why they did not believe my message. Right? It's a decision he made for the advancement of the gospel. If he chose to collect money, it would not have been wrong. And that's the point. Many times as believers, it's not necessarily about what is, is it a sin? Is it not a sin? We're too quick to say, oh, is it a sin? Pastor, is it a sin if I do this? Is it a sin if I, beyond that, there are things that are not sinful in any regard, but because of your commitment and your devotion to Christ, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. There are times you might you might be in, in an argument or there's a case where, where you have friends or you have Christian relationships or just relationships in general. And there's the possibility that you are the one in the right, right? But you know that if you press further, you risk ruining the relationship for the sake of peace. You let it go. You let it go. Like, you know what? No, uh, <laughs> no problem, right? You let it go. There are times where you are around people who might not be saved and the, and the only way to reach them is to, in quotes, and I'm going to explain that because we've not gotten to those verses, become like them. And that might involve doing things that you probably normally wouldn't. I'm going to give examples. But because you are trying to reach them, like Paul said, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To those without the law, I became as one without a law. Amen. So, there is that sense in which as a believer, every moment, and it's not easy. We live in a world that teaches and advocates putting yourself first. Oh, before you, before you pour out yourself to others, make sure that you, you, you've taken care of yourself. And while there's some truth to self-love, I really don't like that phrase because of what it might mean to different people. And for many standard definitions, I think it's quite extreme. But the Christian is one who is living a life of continual self-sacrifice, continuously. Whether it's to your spouse, whether it's to the church, whether it's to the world, you are constantly putting the needs of others above yourself. That is the believer. That is the believer. And so there are many situations you find yourself in where it's like, if you should go your own way, which is not necessarily wrong, right? It will be fine that, oh, this is what I deserve. or oh, this is what it should be. This is this, this is that. And I don't care, right? And you're right. Sorry, you're wrong. I'm right. That is it. But as a believer, especially for the sake of the gospel, many, many times you'll be found, you'll find yourself in positions where you just, you'd like, in, in quote, you say, because of God or because of the gospel, or because of peace, you're going to let a lot of things slide, or you're going to do things that you might not necessarily want to do. You think Jesus was just chilling, and he said, you know what? I feel like being flogged. 
I feel like they should stamp my hands on a cross. I just feel like it's, I just, you know, it's, it's boring in heaven. These angels are just singing, let me come down to earth. Let me see what's going on on the other side of, 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 of this reality. And let me just chill with them for a while. You think it was easy? Or Paul, he just says, you know what? This, this, uh, has, this Pharisee life is getting boring. All this reputation, the prestige, the respect. Who needs respect? Let me experience small humiliation. Not even small. Let me let me travel around without any guarantee that I might make it past tomorrow. <laughs> you think it was that way? No, of course not. Of course not. Christianity is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to sacrifice. And yes, many of the people listening, whether here or whether over the recording, you might not have to make some of the sacrifices Paul made. Maybe you might not. You might not have to lose your reputation, lose your wealth, lose everything, right, for the sake of the gospel. But at least have a mindset that you're willing to lay yourself low for the gospel. If it would mean that just one more person would be saved. If it would mean that Jesus would be better represented in your class. Jesus would be better represented in your, in your office, right? Even in things that might not necessarily be wrong or things that you might not have wanted to do, right? It's worth it. It's worth it. Amen. All right. That is my introduction. Let's pick it. I said I was not going to do introduction. I deceive myself. <laughs> Let's start. First Corinthians 9 verse... Hmm, verse where? 15. Let's start from verse 15. <laughs> from verse 15. I sacrificed myself for the gospel. That's why. You think I wanted to do introduction? <laughs> Anyways, it says, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 15, as usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. So at this point, get out your notes, your writing materials, your Bibles, of course, and let's start. Verse 15, it says, I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should, so, it should be done so to me. For it will, it will be better for me to die and that anyone should make my boasting void. I'm like, Paul, calm down now. What's going on? But his point is, is that, that I would rather die than anyone say, oh, Paul is preaching for money. I would rather die than even make any ground for such an accusation or for such, um, such a charge that, oh, Paul is only in it for the money. That's why he's here. He says, I would rather die. <laughs> Right? And you don't have to, honestly, poor really, the way it's to say I'll rather die, it's not the way we, when you say, oh, I'll die for you. Impulse is like, nah. <laughs> Impulse says I'll die for you, it's not a big deal. Like, eh. and so? <laughs> um, it says, if I preach the gospel, so now let's start. Um, Ayo, well done, lawyer. <laughs> That's why you'll be drafting uh Mind meant mind, mina. <laughs> for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And I, I explained this last week that when someone is doing something they are meant to do, it doesn't make sense to boast about it. It doesn't make sense to like, like you say, oh, 
as a mother, you just you just had a child. Oh, I I take care of my child. I breastfeed the child. You know, I clothe it. I change his diapers. I'm such a good mother. I deserve an award. Really, <laughs> you're doing what you're expected to do. <laughs> Don't take care. Oh, yeah, let the child die if that's what you want. Do you get my point? Oh, I as parents, we're such good parents. We pay our children's school fees. You know, um, it's not easy. I didn't say you don't you shouldn't you shouldn't be appreciated for being a good mother. My point is that you don't boast of what is expected. Oh, I'm an I'm such a good employee. I come at 9 and I I leave at 5. Someone in this chat in their mind they're saying Daniel cannot make such a claim. He's a liar. <laughs> I come at 9, I leave at 5, I do my work. It's good. It's commendable. Right? But it is what you are literally being paid to do it's what you are being paid to do and just because society <laughs> just because society um is is so substandard that the like people just do the bare minimum when people now do what is expected it's like they are even better than society so that we don't even have anyone necessarily going over and beyond right oh i i'm such a good husband i I do this, I do that. I deserve an award. Oga, you're a good husband. I'm happy to hear you're a good husband. There are not many good husbands or good wives, but that is what you're expected to do. That is what you're expected to do, right? And and uh, I didn't drag anybody. Don't lie against me. <laughs> um, And that is what Paul is saying, that if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. And there is a sense in which this is not necessarily just regular evangelism. Even though as believers, there is that sense in which if you see someone standing on a train track with earphones on, the analogy we use all the time, and a train is speeding past, and you save them, what else, like, were you going to leave them to die? No, you, you could save them, right? You did the right thing. But for Paul, there is a sense in which, from a ministry perspective, and I think Anna asked this question, and I answered it last week. So when I say ministry, I mean the call to actual teaching and preaching of the word. I'm like in Paul's case, the call to apostleship, right? Because of the way in which it happened, it was there was not really much of a choice, even though there was, right? But in Paul's mind, he's like, God called me to preach the gospel. This is what I am supposed to do. Like, this is what I am supposed to do. So much so that not doing it will be a problem. It will be woe to me. And so that's an easy way to test it, right? So, um, yes, we can, we, can, we can commend or we can say, oh, you're a good, um, you're a good, I'm trying to see, how can you go? Okay, you're a good employee, right? You come at nine, you leave at five, you meet all your targets. At the end of the year, it successfully meets expectations. You're a good employee, right? You're doing your job. There's not really much to boast about. However, if, let's say regularly, you end up, you resume earlier than normal, you work later, you help other people, pick on tasks. If the, if the team is stuck, you're the go-to person. You are doing, <laughs> tell me, nobody said you're not a great employee. <laughs> but you're doing more than what you are being paid for. Uh -huh. now we can say okay there is something worth boasting about here such that if you didn't do those things you'll still be a good employee 
if you just did the nine to five meet your targets all of that you will still be a good employee do you get so you're going over and beyond so that if you didn't do those things you would still be commended however there's now a sense in which if you now say oh i come at 10 i leave at two even that 10 to 2 i'm on the phone uh-huh. so whoa then you should be punished because you're not even doing what is expected and that is how paul sees evangelism or 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 the preaching of the gospel that it is what i'm meant to do i i shouldn't be i shouldn't be um what's the word looked at as going above and beyond for preaching the gospel like what that's the that's the expectation preach the gospel preach the gospel so that's why he's saying necessity is laid upon me that is the expectation woe to me if i don't preach the gospel it says for if i do it willingly and that is why paul so for for paul he's about to explain why he doesn't allow or he doesn't he's not collecting money from these people he said if i do it willingly meaning without compulsion if i'm preaching the gospel out of a passion for god a passion to seeing the lost saved and all that like many of us probably do it says i have a reward right like paul is saying if i was preaching um no one cajoled me nothing i just i just i'm like god is too good i have to i have to preach the gospel it says i have a reward it says but if i do it against my will meaning not that he doesn't want to preach but in a sense in which god called him <laughs> he was on his own about to kill christians and god struck him down made him blind <laughs> and said i am jesus that you are persecuting and now i will send you to preach to the gentiles so it's not like he had a choice in that matter of course he could have chosen to disobey god but the point is that god called him to that work right a dispensation of the gospel was committed to him that's what he said i have been entrusted with a stewardship i have been entrusted with a stewardship so in that regard there is no no um it's not it was not out of my own desire or my own concern for the lost that I'm here today. It's because Jesus called me, that's Paul, right, to do this work. It's the same way Johnny told the epistles. <laughs> if I do it willingly, I have a reward. <laughs> but if it's against my will, I'm entrusted with the stewardship. I was on my own, loving on Jesus. He said, January, start teaching every Saturday. I said, God, Saturday morning, that's not easy. But God doesn't care. <laughs> so, something similar like that. And you can think about, maybe you can think about decisions that you've probably taken because the Lord asked you to, especially ministerial decisions. It's, it, that's, that's the closest example to what Paul is saying. Like God said, oh yeah, get up. Get up. I'm going to preach. <laughs> go to the Gentiles, go to the Jews, go to kings, do this, do that, right? And that's what he's saying. I've been entrusted with a stewardship. So his question now is, if I'm doing what I'm expected to do, where is my reward? What can show my willingness? Where, what in my conduct would demonstrate that my heart is really here? That yes, I've been called to do this, but even so, I'm going to show that this is something I want to do. Because preaching is not it. Because whether I want God has called me to, that's out of the question. So how can I show? How can I show 
that I am, I am, I am, I am, um, what's the word? I'm giving myself to this cause. It says, where is my reward? And what is his reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. It's kind of like saying, oh, um, as let's say as a husband, where is the where? Yes, I'm doing all that is expected, but how can I show beyond? How can I go above and beyond to show that I really love my partner, that I really care about my children, that I really love this company I'm working for? If you can say that, right? <laughs> Let them not listen to my recording. <laughs> HR will call me on Monday. What did you say? Your heart is not in this company. Out of my heart belongs to Jesus. <laughs> but how can I go above and beyond? And that's what Paul is saying. How can I show that beyond just this call to ministry, it's something that I want to give myself fully to? For him, where is his answer? That I may present the gospel without charge. So it was a choice he made. If he presented it with charge, there was nothing wrong. He deserves to charge. <laughs> the same way you say $5 per hour. Oh no, that's too cheap. $25, $50 per hour. Paul would say, I'm about to preach to you the word of life. But first... A hundred dollars per hour. <laughs> Are you ready to be saved? <laughs> um, but that's the point, right? That he deserves to be paid for his labor. But in choosing to forego that right, he shows that, yes, this is something he wants to do. He wants to do, right? It says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. And that's what we're saying, verse 19, right? That there is a sense of identity, first of all. I recognize that I am free in Christ. The same way we read it in John 13 last week, right before Jesus was about to wash his disciples' feet. It said that Jesus stood up, realizing that he came from the Father. He had received all things from the Father and he was going back to the Father. There was that clear sense of identity and authority. I know who I am. And then he was able to say, you know what, but regardless, I'm willing to put that aside to serve. And it's the exact same thing Philippians says when it describes the heart of the cross and the heart that we all should have. That yes, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You're about to change it for me. Yes, you know who you are. I don't need to, but at least you, you know who you are. <laughs> don't tell me. But you're willing to forgo that for the sake of peace, for the sake of love, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, right? He goes on to say, to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I may win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as not as without the law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I may win those who are without the law. What is he saying? So he says to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Meaning, I would celebrate Passover, or I would celebrate the feast. I would, I would celebrate these things. I wouldn't eat what a Jew would not eat. Right? Why? So that I may win them. 
so that I may win them. I'll be able to access because I mean, and now we can get very practical because you see yourself for many people, the bulk of the people that listen to this teaching are either in Canada, US or Nigeria. For those that are not Canadians or Americans, I know people like Tammy now will say, is a lie, I'm an American, what you're about to say does not apply to me. Uh, but for those who are not Americans or who are not raised in such a culture and you find yourself here, and there is still that charge that you have to, <laughs> to preaching, to reaching people, right? Or you go to a, <laughs> it's force of habit. <laughs> or you go to, um, I don't know, you go to India, for instance, and you want, to, you want to reach them with the gospel. Many times, people would not even listen to you if they don't sense that you are one of them. You can't even start to talk. Just like, okay, no, yeah, does this strange guy come with your strange things? Do what you want. We'll do what we want. And there is a sense in which you can see that if Paul would probably go to India, he would become like the Indians. Of course, as long as there was no clash in faith, he would do all he could to assimilate with them. Why? So that he could bring them to salvation. It's what Pastor Emmanuel Aaron would call having positive ulterior motives. That you're willing to engage. You're willing to become like the people you are trying to reach. Of course, like I said, at no expense of your values in Christ. So that it's easier to win them. And so if you're at work, you are out there. If they're having, oh, we're going for a team lunch. You, you, you go. You can say, oh, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the extroverted type. I don't, I don't like being around people. Oh, God, how are you going to preach <laughs> Go for the go for the lunch, my friend. Your your team is having a game night. You say, Oh no, I want to spend the night praying. You're not serious. And you now start saying, God, help me reach these people. How do you want to reach them? How? They don't see you anywhere apart from work. You now just want to come one day. I'm concerned about the eternal state of your soul. Oh God, get out. <laughs> we don't know you. We don't recognize you. Right? There should be, and that's why I said that sacrificing your rights for the gospel, sometimes it's it's not doing things that you wanted to do, but other times it's doing things that you probably don't want to do. You're in a class, they're having, they're having, I don't know, an end of year. So you say, ah, you're not Christians. Ah, I'm not sure. <laughs> How are you going to reach them? How are you going to reach them? And so there should be that intentionality where for the Jews, it might be, it might be food, um, certain things. In like, for instance, in the Western culture, it might be other things. There might be things you would need to intentionally take on so that it's easier to reach people. So that it's easier to reach people. Amen. Amen. And of course, for many of you, what, what I would say you should take home from this is prayerfully reflect on it. Oh, I'm, I want to see my colleagues, my work colleagues saved. How can I reach them? First, before the God, how can I even reach these people? How can they, how can I get to a space in which they can receive what I have to say? They can receive what I have to say. Oh, my classmates. How can I? Okay, we'll have, they're having study groups. 
but you, you say, well, I want to read on my own. You're missing out on great opportunities. After class, they are going for lunch. But you, you say, no, I want to go home. You're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out, right? Or, I don't know, your neighbors, things like that. You're in an apartment. The apartment is having an end of year. I don't know, whatever. Go for it. What's the big deal? He said that there's rice at home. It's for the gospel. Like Paul said, it's so that you may save some. There might be just one person that those forcing yourself to be in such a scenario would open doors of conversations. It's one of the biggest lessons I've learned since I got to the U.S. I remember in school, the exact same thing. We'll go for lunch together. We'll play. We'll have sport. Of course, I enjoyed it. And I'm not saying this, that as a believer, you are now um, outside the gospel. You have no intention of interacting with them. That's that's very, that's not genuine. And that's sad. Um, but you genuinely care about them. And because you care about them, people can discern care you don't have to be saved to know if someone really cares about you of course you care about their souls you care about their salvation not in some um religious and i'm using that word carefully because i'm not a part of this people that say christianity is not a christianity is a religion in case you're not aware it is a relationship but it's a religion um, <laughs> um but not in some mechanical sense i just want to get you saved and i don't really care as long as you are, you are saved Abby. don't talk to me again no you truly care about them. And there's a way if you care about someone, you'd, you'd bring yourself to them. You'd, you'd, be, you'd be there just so that you can reach them. So that you can reach them. Right? Like I said, as long as there is no clash with faith, as believers, we must be willing to compromise anything. <laughs> Literally, anything. As long as it doesn't clash with our faith anything to get people saved so if you see me dreading my head in summer um it's so that i may save some so that i may save some <laughs> i'm just teasing but so <laughs> so for instance you go to the middle east there is nothing in christianity that is against wearing a hijab for crying out loud you're a woman please wear one not that they'll say I'm just, ah who is this one <laughs> They will even listen. To, they will even be found talking to you. How will you preach? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong, because at the end of the day, what is amazing about Christianity, and it's one of the reasons why, when you compare to many other religions, it tends to stand out, is because Christianity has a culture, but it's not a culture in which it demands people to lose their cultures what do i mean by that there is a sense in which christian culture is still compatible with pretty much every culture i don't have to stop okay let me not say that because i never started honestly i don't have to stop being a yoruba boy i was never one but i don't have to give up being yoruba to become christian right some other faiths you would have to give up your language give up your dressing give up practices everything to acclimatize to a certain religion and you start to think about it that any how can something that god the same god who in a sense culture diversity is beautiful culture is beautiful 
will demand that for everyone to worship him, we must all adopt one culture or one language. It's, it's, it's in itself. It is actually philosophically contradictory. Do you see what I'm trying to say? And so there is a sense in which Christianity will not tell you what to wear. It just tells you be modest. And so whether it's an Agbada in the in Western Nigeria or it's shirt and, and shorts in the in, in, in the US or it's I don't know a what's the word? My friends will be angry. I can't remember the name. But if let's say you're a lady, sari in India or whatever, Christianity is not saying don't no, wear whatever you want to wear. No, in, in it's not a jalamia. There's a name I can't remember, but um, wear whatever you want, but be modest. And so, if I bring Christianity to a Yoruba man, he doesn't have to start dressing. Why am I saying like I'm not Yoruba? If I bring Christianity to an evil man, <laughs> or someone who is from Australia, or someone who is from um, Afghanistan, he doesn't or she doesn't have to start dressing like me to accept Christ or to practice Christianity, just be modest. The same thing with moderation. Christianity doesn't say, don't have more than this in your bank account. <laughs> it doesn't say, don't do this. It says, all that you do, do it in moderation. Do it in moderation. And so what we oftentimes see are principles. And, that, that's, and that's why I say it's amazing because it points more to a transformation from within that regardless of whatever culture you find yourself, you can still identify with that culture and live out your Christian identity. And that's why in Jerusalem, the Christians there didn't stop being Jews. A lot of people don't realize this. And maybe one day, as always, if I ever say one day, it's Romans, Abi, we'll talk about how there's a terrible assumption in most of Western Christianity that the law is bad and Jesus is good. That is not the case at all. At all. <laughs> at all. Or, or, or that if a Jew becomes a Christian, they should stop being Jewish. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Right? Because those laws were given to Jews to define their culture and their identity. You, they don't have to stop that to become Christians. Right? It's the same way as the Yoruba man. You don't stop eating pepper soup, goat meat, <laughs> and I don't know. What else? Amala. It will do just because you got saved. You don't stop speaking Yoruba. You don't stop speaking Hindi or speaking um, even um, Arabic. Because you got saved. So why should a Jew give up his Jewish identity because he got saved or she got saved? And so even the church in Jerusalem, they might not eat certain things. Of course, there were some that would say, oh, if I do this, I'm sinning. And that's what Paul was against. But just to maintain it as this is who I am and this is my dietary practice, both from culture and out of personal consecration, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. And so many of the Christians in Jerusalem still ate kosher, still celebrated the Jewish festivals. In fact, many Messianic Jews still today still do so. And there's nothing wrong because that is not what Christianity seeks to change. And so that is Paul's point, that if that is not what Christianity is really about, 
then I should be willing to either drop or or pick up rather if it would help me reach people better. And so he says to those who are under the law, I pick up the law so I can save some of them. To those who don't have any law, meaning all these Jewish laws, not he says not being without law to go. So I wasn't a lawless person, right? Now, I won't start sleeping around just because they live in a licentious culture. No. Like I said, as long as it doesn't clash with faith. But I'm willing to drop off certain legalities if it will help me reach out to them. If it will help me reach out to them. And so, practical example, if you are going out to evangelize in certain parts of Nigeria, don't wear trousers. Please, it's, it's just common sense. You don't have to. So that you can even talk to them. As a guy, probably you should not braid your hair in those locations if you want to reach them with the gospel. Right? It's just common sense. It's the same thing here. You might do some other things. Don't be wearing... <laughs> don't dress funny in, in the heat of summer on a beach. I say, no, this is... I'm a Christian. They won't listen to you. They won't listen to you. You don't have to go out in the suits to evangelize. They won't listen... They don't listen to you, right? So to those without law, you become without law. <laughs> See, you hold your Bible, three-piece suit, and you're marching on the streets <laughs> on 90-degree weather. You say, I come bringing good news. <laughs> Even me, I will listen to you. Oh, you are not serious. Why are you wearing this? <laughs> you get my point. I mean, that's a joke, but you get my point. Be willing to, honestly, you actually might just paint. <laughs> well, that's what he's saying. In verse 22, he goes on. To the weak, I became as weak. We've already explained. Who are the weak? The ones who their consciences were tender. The ones who their consciences, due to many times a lack of knowledge, couldn't do many things. It says, to the weak, I became like a weak. So if, I, if I'm around people that feel, oh, this is wrong, I won't do it. Why? I have become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. Save some. That's the goal. That's, it goes back to what I said, that as a Christian, your life is one that you wake up every morning and you are constantly sacrificing yourself for the advancement of the gospel because that's what Jesus did that's what Jesus did he he sacrificed literally and all through his ministry he was constantly sacrificing himself he was tired he was hungry he was weak his flesh did not want to die no one wants to suffer and die for anyone in case you're not aware <laughs> no one Right? Even Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But because the gospel demanded it, and that's the kind of life we should start to live. Don't be that person that it's just about what you want, what you prefer, what you like to do, what you want to do with your life. No, no, no. Paul said in Galatians, the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ 
for Christ. The same thing in 2 Corinthians 5, he died for all, that they who live should henceforth no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who died and was raised again. The Christian is one who sees that it's no longer me. That person, Daniel, has surrendered to Christ. And whatever following Christ demands, I'm willing to give it up. It's no longer about my preferences. It's no longer about my, this is how I want it. This is what I would rather do. Or this is what I want to dress, how I want to wear. This is where I want to be on this Friday night. No, if the gospel demands I'm somewhere else, then I have to be somewhere else. For the past one and a half years, the gospel demands that I'm here on a Saturday morning. And so I'm here on a Saturday morning. But I enjoy it. Don't worry, guys. I enjoy it. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it without charge, Abby. So it means I can say like Paul, I'm doing it willingly. <laughs> I'm not paying. Nobody's paying for classes. <laughs> but anyways, um, I hope you get the point. If the gospel demands that you 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 give up a certain job so that you can do more for the for the kingdom you give it up if the gospel demands that you do you 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 leave a certain place and you just feel it in your that this is what the gospel demands of me you do that you do that and it even goes into relation like interpersonal relationships the gospel demands that I'm there for my friends. The gospel demands that I love my wife. Let me get my ring. People say, why is it by saying wife? I have a ring. <laughs> that I love my wife <laughs> and I put her above, my, her needs above mine. Then that's what the gospel demands, right? <laughs> ah. Say, so you're not there. I went to you at the wedding. I thought I saw you there now. You didn't get the invite. I'll send you people pictures. For those that don't think I'm serious, I'll send you pictures. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> Anyways, but you get my point. As Christians, we are going to be... You <laughs> people don't rate me. Don't rate me at all. Anyways. <laughs> As Christians, we are constantly going to find ourselves in situations and scenarios where there is one thing you want to do, but there's something else you know by the Spirit that is demanded of you. And the goal of maturity is to get to a point where at every point in time you are willing to choose the need of the gospel above your own personal demands, your own personal choices. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Nevertheless, not what? My will. What is his will? I don't want to be flogged, crucified, and killed. It is nevertheless not my will, but yours. As a believer, maturity is getting to that point where every day you wake up and you say, God, not my will, but yours. Every scenario, God, not my will, but yours. Your friend does something ridiculously stupid and is still claiming right. But you sense that if you press charges <laughs> against him, if you keep fighting, it will ruin the relationship. God, not my will, but yours. 
you find yourself in a position where you can choose privilege you can choose um a choice would lead to more money more recognition more this more that but it to come at a compromise to let's say your devotion or to clear ministerial instructions the lord has given you it's not easy nobody said it's easy but maturity is being looking at that offer and saying god not my will but yours not my will but yours it's that you are in a position of great temptation where you can easily mess up no one would know and you really want to mess up but you stand like joseph and you say god not my will but yours amen 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 ah that me I'll pretend like <laughs> i didn't read what you said or let now be saying the hard the hard ones it can also look like your team is going out for a game night and you really want to sleep but you know that this would open up the doors to more personal conversations you look at that invitation you look at your bed and you say god not my will <laughs> boy be done amen all right cool so let's go on it says now <laughs> it's those ones that are even harder sometimes <laughs> like it's not game night. so it's not just choosing the habit sometimes it's that like you choose. it says now i do this for the gospel's sake again like i said for the gospel's sake that i may be a partaker of it with you i don't it's not something i say often i don't like the way this verse is rendered in the nkjv i don't now put on your thinking caps i thought we we're going to start chapter 10 we might but we're going to do a little bible study um exercise and i want you to participate i want your minds to be active these are the little moments where even when jtt is over you'll be able to pick up your bible and say ah, i remember we played around with some of these things this is not this is, yeah but it is i do this for the gospel's sake that i may be a partaker of it with you hmm first of all what is he doing for the gospel's sake from here on i'm just going to be asking questions so that There are many things you might have read in this verse before and I'm going to quote certain things that maybe someone has told you. But we're going to see at least what I believe the text means. But what is he doing for the gospel's sake? Let's start. I think that is the easiest so far. What is he doing for the gospel's sake? At this point, feel free to unmute yourself or put in the chat. Okay, giving up his rights. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. whether it's not collecting money whether it's um living like the people he's trying to reach he's doing it not necessarily because he he wants to per se but because the gospel demands it and he says that i may be a partaker of it with you we're going to see why i don't like even as i'm reading it i'm like it's it's it can be misleading if you don't read everything in context but when he says that i may be a partaker 
of it with you particle of what particle of the gospel and if it means particle of the gospel what does that mean isn't he saved why is he doing something for the gospel that he may be a partaker of the gospel do you understand my question he's saved in fact it's because he's saved he's, he's preaching the gospel <laughs> what do you think what do you think what do you think this is what we're going to do till verse 27 by the way it's going to be we'll just be going slowly 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 so that when i say what i believe the text means like, ah, where is it coming from <laughs> i say how do these people always interpret this way where they get it from <laughs> no no tries all right let me let's book you going to open translation <laughs> but it's good like it's not it's saying not, that yeah um what about like maybe he's saying i've not looked at them i've looked at another version but i'm not even going into that yet yeah. but what if he's saying that's particular of what he's doing like not particular of the gospel okay but particular of this like he says what now this? this i do exactly like <laughs> maybe this is like what he's doing with them so you're saying this is it yes okay not necessarily I like that. I like that attempt. It's that kind of critical reading that you would actually need to make um the, uh, make progress in interpretations like this. And the reason it's is um is um the reason this can't be it is because this is talking about sacrifice for the gospel. When he says partaker of it, he's not saying I may be partaker of sacrifice for the gospel, right? Um because he's saying I am doing this for a certain result. So the result is something that the people he's reaching out to would potentially enjoy and hmm tell me i like that attempt i would what i would do at the end is i would show what that interpretation can mean if you stretch it into verse 27 right there is a sense in which it's true but let's let's um um it's not talking about spiritual growth it's not talking about spiritual growth let's read the ESV for instance um i think Bukhi and and earlier alluded to it what does the ESV where's my bible ah, i can't find the ESV it says i do this for the sake of the gospel that i may share with them in its blessings that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's read another translation, the NLT. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Okay? NIV. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. HCSB, one of my favorite translations of all time. Now I do all this because of the gospel. so i may become a partner in its benefits what are the blessings we'll get there we'll get there don't worry <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there um we've not done this in a while so i'm actually excited but now you're like okay so why is the kj why is the nkjv same talk seem seeming like it's different let's go to the king james 
And this I do for the, for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof. If you have a certain translation for the King James, you'll notice that you is italicized. Who has that in their Bibles? Quick thumbs up. Cool. You is italicized. Hey, can I see being Christian did not cure me of that Yoruba factor? <laughs> you is italicized, right? Usually when things are italicized, it's not wrong at all. It's added by um, by translations to help with um, to help with understanding the text. And so it's saying, I do all this for the gospel's sake that I may partake of the gospel with you. So what it means is that it's not wrong. Like the NKJ is not wrong. A lot of times we think when we read translations that make it hard to understand the intended meaning, the translation is wrong. No, not necessarily. Do you know the work that has gone into these people have spent, the people that translated these things have spent more time studying translations than have been alive. <laughs> I would not open my mouth to just say they are wrong, right? I never said the NKJV is wrong. But what is happening is that what the King James and the NKJV talks about partaking of the gospel other modern, more modern translations call it partaking of the blessings of the gospel. So the question that we need to answer is what does Paul mean by partaking of the gospel if he's already saved? What does Paul mean where some other translations call blessings, older translations call partaking thereof? Let's start. <laughs> Before we go on, remember all we've talked about. What has Paul done for the gospel? He has given up. I don't want to give the answer away. Let's go on. We'll get there. Well, let's go on. So I'm back to the NKJV. So we understand what we're trying to solve. This is our problem statement. What does partaking of the gospel have to do with blessings in modern translations? Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He's not saying that in many Christians, only one. No, he's giving an analogy that when people run, there is a winner. It says, run in such a way that you may obtain the prize. What does it mean to run? Is he telling them to do something? What is the price? Is it salvation? I'm just going to be asking. I'm going to go on, but just be thinking about it. Because there's a way this text has been read that it's going to be very hard to think differently. Good. I like the fact that you said that. It says, run that you may receive the price. Is the price salvation? If the price is salvation, is, he's, is he telling them to do something to be saved? Let's go on. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for, to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Right? Again, the same thing. If you are going to run the race well, 
you're going to have to cut off excesses to deny yourself certain gratifications so that you may obtain the price. It says, therefore, I run. Not with uncertainty, I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it to subjection so that when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Or as your older translations, and you've probably heard, yelled at you many times, that when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Pause. Pause. We have like 15 minutes, so I'm going to try and make this very, very as effective as possible. When Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring it to subjection so that after I have preached to others, I myself should become cast away. Simple question. Very simple question. How is Paul disciplining his body and bringing it to subjection? Very simple question. How? Um, by giving up like things, um, to basically like to preach to people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Can we all agree on that at least? That when Paul says, "I discipline my body, and I bring it to subjection," it's not talking about I'm not fornicating. He's not talking about, I'm not lying, I'm not stealing. It's not talking about sin. It's talking about giving up rights for the spread of the gospel. I think that's clear, right? So if it's not talking about sin, will he be talking about his eternal destination? That's the question I want to ask. Exactly. Because like I said... Yes, we're going to go back to the first. Exactly. That is it. Like I said earlier, right? These disciplines, this putting his body under subjection, it's talking about conduct in ministry. It is not even about causing a believer to fall into sin like the last chapter. That one is clearly sin. Right? That one is clearly sin. But it's talking about doing things that might not even necessarily be wrong so that the gospel advances even further. So that the gospel advances even further. So another question, what would Paul not disciplining his body look like? When Superman got out to the beach. Big. <laughs> I love I that. Yeah. that. Yeah, which makes sense. I was also going to say that um, because his his goal for giving up his rights mm. and this thing in his body is that mm. people come to the gospel. Mm. So not doing that would mean that he won't be as effective in ministry. Exactly. 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 Not disciplining his body would mean putting his own personal preferences above the need of the gospel will he still be saved if he does that yeah exactly of course he will remember first corinthians 3 there are people that went their whole life teaching nonsense <laughs> and paul says they'll be saved as one that was snatched out of a fire there's no reward your works will burn but you will be saved 
Why? Because salvation is tied to faith in Christ. And of course, there is a lifestyle that ensues from genuine salvation. But in this sense, indiscipline will be a conduct in ministry that, that doesn't put the demands of souls above your own personal comfort. That's indiscipline. So if he's going to be saved, regardless, what is disqualification? I'm glad in all of this, I'm not the one, but just following the text and letting it teach us. But what is this qualification? This qualification is like um, you're going to preach to someone and then they just like cut you off. Basically, like they don't listen to you basically because you're not doing the work. Hmm. So if I go to somewhere where they, as everybody has dreads there, I'm preaching to them and I come there with scundos and I'm like, this is wrong, that kind of thing. And they don't like listen. Mm. I think I know what you're saying. And there's a school of theological thought that agrees with that interpretation. You're pretty much saying the disqualification is coming from the people you are reaching out to. I don't think I agree because of the preceding verses, but it's a very good attempt. At least it's not what is popularly interpreted. So good, very good try. Um, Ayo, you said ineffectiveness in ministry. Tammy, your hand is raised. Yes, I think, I think, I'm not sure, yes. but I think that it's, so when you were saying that there are people that their works are like, no, when they're saved, it's like they're snatched out of fire, right? Yeah. But I think that's what he's trying to say so mm-hmm. that <clears throat> that's not what his eternal life will look like. So there will be reward in that sense. I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's what I think. Yes, that's, that's your, your, your hovering around the answer. It's literally right there in what you said very good very good um any other tries amaka i love what you said that what was entrusted in his hands he has not done it pretty much what you are saying is that um is exactly what ayo said right in terms of ministry he did not he didn't do it well and so there's no reward or rather he didn't run in such a way as to obtain the prize and so he will be disqualified because he hasn't followed the rules of rewarding ministry what does true rewarding christ-like ministry look like sacrifice and so if as a minister he doesn't sacrifice that's what it means to discipline and put his body under subjection he would stand before god and there will be nothing to show for it because he just did the bare minimum. Do you get? Do you get what he's trying to say? And so, um, summarily, uh, <laughs> to summarize, <laughs> I'm going to stop saying such words, some words that would twist my tongue. What he's simply saying is that if I didn't do all I've said, if I collected money for preaching re- without regard of how it will affect the hearts of the listeners, if I didn't make any sacrifices, if I didn't change, if I didn't, I wouldn't have much of a reward. I wouldn't have much of a reward. I'll be saved. Because in all of this, nothing he has said so far has to do with salvation or his own salvation. So I'll be saved. Many times we, we've, we've heard things like, 
in fact oh wait let's go over it again then i'll conclude um so now that he says in verse 23 i do all this for the gospel's sake that i may partake of it with you is it what what is he saying i think it's kind of clear now what is he saying so he's saying that he also has a reward to gain from giving up his rights and um becoming you know becoming something to each person to give them the gospel mm-hmm. because his reward is that he would his reward is like at the end yeah the word is the reward that he will get at the end so it's like I'm going to read it again so basically partaking of it is that he's not doing it in vain in a sense exactly that, that all sense. the sacrifice he's making for the gospel you will be saved but I'm also going to share in the blessings of the gospel in that there is a reward that comes from denying myself to preaching it to you that's it that's it does it make sense i hope i hope it's making sense yes kind of like like what juliet said but don't forget his own sense of reward doesn't just come from preaching the gospel and that's why the way he does it is called into and that's that's why he uses the analogy of a race it's not just about running there's a way to run it's not just about doing ministry and expecting a reward there is a way to do it and how does that way look like temperance giving up a lot of excesses discipline and subjection what does that look like for paul verse 17 if i do it willingly i have a reward if it's against my will i've been entrusted with this to watch it where is my reward that when i preach it's without charge and i don't abuse my authority that is what it means to put his body under subjection to the weak i become as a weak does it make sense this is newer translation really no i think it's still it still it still goes on right it's still the same i mean not verse 27 of course but verse 27 it's a context it's literally the concluding thoughts of what he's been saying so if you ignore everything and you just think it's saying cuz um many times would read oh you we probably heard things like look at paul apostle paul he wrote the most of the new testament the greatest missionary the world has ever seen but even paul even paul was afraid that he might not make it brethren be afraid you can be saved today but if paul can be afraid of not making it how much more you <laughs> we've heard that we've heard that we've heard that but the point in the entire context is not about paul's eternal state rather the point or the prize or the call or, or the crown that paul is running for right is the reward that comes from living a life sold out to the gospel that's it yeah so being this yes exactly 
and the word disqualified just means considered unfit it's the word adokimos and it just means upon examination you are found to not have met a standard that's what it means so it makes it's it's ministry that when you stand before god and you are examined it will be like hmm. oh boy you could be minister is <laughs> the minister of the gospel <laughs> This one, this one has come. Yes, people got saved. Exactly. Exactly. Where we get confused is when we make a mistake that many times we make when we read the Bible. That if running a race in Timothy meant salvation, then in Ephesians, it also means salvation. Then in Corinthians, it also means salvation. That's not how the Bible works. Or if... if um, cast away or adokimos in hebrews it meant something very different yeah it means something different it's like saying everywhere you read grace we've talked about that grace sometimes refers to the grace we've received in salvation sometimes it refers to the enablement god has given us for ministry you can't just on have one understanding of grace and wherever you sit in bible regardless of context like grace grace is grace 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 of faith Right, faith sometimes is talking about you placing faith in the gospel, um, um, committing yourself to a certain message. Other times, faith refers to the teachings that we have found in the gospel, doctrine. Right, it's the same thing here. When Paul says, "I haven't preached to us, you'll be disqualified," he's not saying he won't make heaven. Nothing in chapter nine has to do with his eternal state. It's saying that after I've done all this, if I didn't put the gospel above myself, I would stand before God and there'll be nothing. <laughs> It'd be like, okay, there's, there's, you didn't run well. You didn't run well. Maybe you have second prize, maybe third place. It's not like nothing, but you didn't run. You didn't run according to the rules. You didn't run in a way that you would obtain the prize. I ask a question. I expect questions. So, um, I think you mentioned this earlier, but um, I think it it requires some emphasis, at least for me. Mm. Um, when, like now, the analogy of a race, you had said mm. that it's not like only one person, you know, can give yeah. the price. Yeah. So in this situation, um. Everybody can get first prize if everyone yes. puts in the work. Yes, well, and okay. yes. So that's another very good question. It's another um, thing to pay attention to when understanding analogies, not just biblically. I think generally, when analogies are used, there is a certain part of the analogy you are trying to emphasize. It doesn't mean everything maps onto everything word for word or concept for concept. And so when Paul uses the analogy of a race. What is his emphasis? How you run. Run in such a way. That is the emphasis. Everyone who competes is temperate. It's the manner in which that race is run. It's not just it's not talking about the emphasis is not that oh um um only one person is best. Uh, no, it's you don't you don't start making no. The emphasis is the this 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 walk Right, there is a way to run, and so for Paul, what it looks like to run in a way to win, 
is to constantly i mean what he looks at for everyone is to constantly deny themselves for the gospel and as a minister what that looks like for him is all he has talked about and it's so that when he stands before god like we read in verse 18 there would be a reward there'll be a prize what is the prize for ministry ministry does it make sense thumbs up if everyone is clear so the next time they read this verse to you you can say ah no sir or ma let's let's calm down let's chapter one let's start from verse one let's start from verse one actually let's start from chapter eight <laughs> let's start from chapter eight all right um Anne, go ahead Anne, you can go ahead your hand is raised oh you can imagine i forgot on mute sorry okay. <laughs> um just a small clarifying question you just said the price for ministry so this price there is very specific to ministry right the analogy paul raises is talking about reward for ministry for him of course the audience are not necessarily in ministry that that's and i think that's where people get confused and so for 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 the audience right because it's also something that is true for Paul, but he expects it to be true for his listeners. And it's the same principle, which is that every believer live in such a way. Anne asked this question last week about ministry. When I say, so disclaimer for most of chapter eight and nine, when I've talked about Paul and I've said ministry, I mean that specific work of the preaching and teaching of the gospel. For Paul, it's his apostolic call. Not everyone has been called to ministry in that sense, right? We've all been called to the preaching of the gospel, to reconciling people to God. We have all been called to serving, right? In 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 the in the in the in the body, right? Whether it's administration, whether it's it's um help, whether it's whatever it might be, right? But again, it applies. And I and I think thank you for raising that. The sense in which we also all so when you think ministry service we all have been called to serve in the gospel in the gospel is a call to serve the body to serve the the, the body and to reconcile the law so yes we all have ministry both to the church and to the world we all do and so there's that sense right that everyone for you it might not look like traveling from place to place um preaching and all of that so for you Putting your body on that so that it might not look like, oh, I'm not collecting money for preaching. And it might not be that. That's Paul's own um discipline. That's how he is running with, with um tem- temperance. But the point is simple that for every believer, there is a how to run. And if you re- disregard that how, you'll stand before God and there'll be nothing to show for it. You'll be disqualified because you didn't run to win. Do you understand? So this is not necessarily saying you would go to hell <laughs> or anything like that. I don't I don't see why anything in this chapter suggests eternal destinations. This is talking about living your life in such a way, right? That because you've constantly put the gospel above yourself when you stand before God, it will be worth it. That's what it's all about. Wherever you find yourself and whatever that looks like for you. So 
as you are going to that game night, you say, yes, I put my body under such. <laughs> it's interesting because many times we've read that and but putting your body is that, oh, there's a pornographic site on your skin. I say, no, I discipline myself and put my body under subjection. And you close it and say, yes, I run with temperance. <laughs> In a sense, that can apply. But more specifically, more specifically, it's referring to the sacrifices we make for the gospel. Does that make sense? All right, cool. Any other questions? Can I? Can I sure. ask some questions? Sure. Um, this is not really related to this last part, but it's related to something you said earlier. Can you hear me? Mm. Loud and clear. Okay, great. So um, I want to ask, where's the balance? So, you know, you've been talking about, um, you use the analogy of going out and you talked about prayer versus going out. So I want to ask, um, where's the balance? Mm. How do you now get to balance it? Um, where you know that, just a very practical example, right? People mm. want to go out and you want to pray. Mm. How do you strike that balance? Pray another time. <laughs> That's the balance. <laughs> My point is this. Um, <laughs> um, the reason why I can't give Again, it goes back to the nature of Christianity. Christianity is very interesting because as long as you, what what the Bible offers, right? And it's I love this about the Bible, is that the Bible gives us wisdom to navigate practical issues. And that's why I'm always very, very worried when people skip interpretation, context, meditation, theology, and they just want to look for practice nuggets to apply to their lives to answer the in quotes practical issues of life is that kind of christianity you end up in error very quickly because what the bible first does is it frames your mind to think a certain way and what i hope to have done is to frame your mind in such a way that you put the demand of the gospel as first of course in the demand of the gospel is the need to pray Right, because if you're not praying, if you're not studying, you're not going to be sharp and you're not going to be as effective in ministry as you should. It's part of it, right? The need to pray even when so I gave the example of choosing to go to interact with people rather than sleeping, right? I can also switch that up to say choosing to pray rather than sleeping. It's the same thing. But my point is 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 that I mean you look at Jesus. Jesus constantly sacrificed himself to being around people, healing, um, healing, preaching, ministering, even when he was tired. But he also knew when it was appropriate that when he was getting spiritually drained or certain, like he knew when to withdraw and rest. He knew when to withdraw and pray, even when people needed him. He says he left early to go and pray. And then Peter will say, ah, people are looking for you now. Like, oh God, I'm praying. Right. So I'm not saying that every time there's again I want to pray don't so don't don't make the mistake of trying to find out um I'm not setting practical rules here what I'm doing is I'm hoping that when faced with scenarios you'll be able to know what the gospel demands at that point and there of course there'll be times where you might not go for many or certain social engagements Paul was not jumping from one party to another. He taught every day for two years in Ephesus. Of course, there were certain many things he couldn't be available for, right? It doesn't matter what my work or friends are doing. I can't sacrifice Saturday morning for it. 
yes, we'll find some other time to reach out for the gospel. Do you get my point? So, it's these are not. I'm not saying every time people are doing this. And no, no, no. I'm just saying that if your heart is for the gospel, there will be many situations where you will choose to do what the gospel demands, even though what you would have rather done is stay at home and sleep, or stay at home and say, oh, let me do this instead, right? So, I can't answer, like, next week Friday, when your friends are doing this, don't know. I don't know what the circumstance looks like for you. And that's why all that the Bible offers is wisdom. That's why you have the Spirit of God. And that's, so that's why Christianity is more than just a set of practical teachings. That's why there is a life you have. That's the reason you have the Spirit of God. We are living, breathing, transformed people. We are not people that just because we, in quotes, we, I don't know, who cares? Because we pray five times a day and we do certain practices, that's all there is. No, there is first a transformation that informs how we live our lives, right? And so um, beyond, and, and it's the same thing I've said, even in discussions in marriage, in the discussions in, in um, handling issues and all of that, there's a reason you have the spirit of God. There's a reason we have people. There is a reason for all these things such that at every situation, even though there is no clear yes, no from the Bible, because, and that's why reading in context is so important, so important because that's the only way your mind will be framed to think the way they thought. It's, I think it's actually one of the biggest disservices of today's Christianity. When we ask questions like, oh, why are things so different? It's because we don't see things the same way. We don't think the same way we, they did. We don't approach situations, suffering, pain, um, even success, many things the same way they did. And it's because we've not paid attention to theology. We've not paid attention to just reading these letters and what were they trying to say? If you can just get their message, it would help in your own personal day-to-day -day choices. So I can't tell you what to do when your research group is going out tomorrow. I can't tell you for sure what to do. But at least I can help you know what to prioritize. And based on that, you can make a decision. I hope that answers your question. Yes, sir. All right, cool. Thanks for asking. All right, any other questions as we round up? Um, I have, I think I have a question. I'm still trying to figure out how to word it. Sure. It may be similar to what um, Anne just mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to like after reading through this chapter, it's hard to um, understand the line between um, like willingness, doing things out of willingness, and like obligation. Mm. And like when we read the last verse about being disqualified and and really broke that down about how it doesn't have to do with salvation, but it's just more so like spiritual blessings or or partaking in spiritual blessings. Um, it like I don't know. My first thought was, what if like where is the place for the believer that that is not like, you know, they just they don't really they're not as concerned with that. It's just like oh, okay, well, <laughs> I don't like you know, um, it's like is it okay to just walk in walk in in actions that um are from a place of willingness? Although I know we're obligated to certain things, but yeah. well based on our belief, but um. I guess it's just hard to understand the line and maybe there isn't a line it's just more of growth you know but um i guess those are just some thoughts from the chapter all right so let me know if i'm understanding you well 
you're asking where is the line between willingness and obligation and also i mean you said two things one hand you asked willingness and obligation then you, you talked about a believer that's just oh this is just what i want to do and I'm, this is just what i feel i should be doing and there's that sense of um yeah okay, yeah, cool. yeah 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 all right all right so let me start with the second question i think that's exactly what the text is saying that any believer that lives that kind of comfortable let me just do this oh okay maybe i should just do this for jesus or something like that there is a sense in which you're not putting yourself out there enough for the gospel and um it's not the best of course like you said that kind of mindset it's one of the reasons why letters like this have been written it's one of the reasons why there's growth there's bible studies like this are hap- happening where you get to a point where you realize that omo serving jesus is not is not uh, i feel like it's it's not uh, uh this is just i i don't know because like we rightly said that's not the character of jesus jesus did not like i also just does not the dying type he didn't just we can feel like dying for these people uh, it would be a nice thing to do for them <laughs> or paul did not just say um I, i i just think the gentiles need the gospel what do you guys think i think they need the gospel as well you know let's just let's let's do no 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 there was a clear sense in which they would rather be doing many other things but this one thing but because and it doesn't i'll get to the willingness part it doesn't take away the fact that it was willing jesus was not forced to die he said no one takes my i willingly lay down he wasn't forced even though and it's amazing right how there is a sense in which as a believer you can sense what your flesh or what not it might not and my flesh even mean bad evil because sleeping resting is not evil what you would rather be doing but what you know the gospel demands and then there's still a part of choice where because you love god because you love the gospel and because you love the lost you choose to do something else i mean a very simple example is working out right there's a sense in which every time you're about to leave your house to go to that gym you would rather not but you know even though you are that no one forced you to go to the gym at that point say ah did they drag you here no you chose to go even though you can differentiate a part of you that wants to be healthy wants to 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 feel and look better as opposed to a side of you that probably still wants that thing but is not willing to put in the work right but you choose to suppress one desire and exalt another desire based on certain priorities and it's the same thing in the gospel where yes you might feel like not doing something you know the gospel demands that because you love god you choose to so it's not like you're forced regardless and then the willingness of obli- um obligation part you can be willing to do something you are obliged to do you get my point right it's not they're not contradictory and so um we are all obligated to preach in the gospel but you can be so willing that you are doing and that's exactly in fact that's exactly that that's it, that Paul was obligated to preach in the gospel but he was so willing that he went above and beyond right so i don't think there are different things there are many we are obliged to pray and read our bibles but it's still something that we do will so it's we talk about duty and delight and 
I don't think it should be duty versus delight. It is duty, but we can delight in it. Right? It's not, it's not, it's not contradictory. There is a sense in which you feel the need to out of duty, but there is also that sense in which you delight to do what you are duty. It's, it's kind of like you love your job. You are being paid, so you have to do it. But fortunately, you also enjoy. Or like a soldier who loves his country so much that there is a sense of duty to protect. But it's something that he will gladly throw himself and his life on the line should the occasion demand. It's, it's, that's the idea. And that's the, that's the perspective we bring into faith where we don't just see things as obligations, but there is a genuine sense of delight where that even when our natural selves want to maybe not do certain things and it might not be a it might not be that bad if you didn't do it or you did but you'll be like no the gospel so you push yourself even more i hope that helps it does it does awesome awesome yeah basically some in summary no christians should just be chill about their work with god no no you should be running that's the idea should be pressing on um but yeah um good questions all right any other questions you would ask me personally i don't want to draw this it's actually over time um you can reach out to me daniel.babs b-a-b-z or z depending on what part of english you speak but um um or you could send me a message if you have my number uh actually yes so yeah um what else am i forgetting let's pray we share the benediction and then we call it a day um dear lord thank you for your word thank you for today thank you for the conclusion of yet another chapter thank you for the truth of your word and i i I pray that all we've discussed so far i mean there's still one more chapter to go in this in this um study of what it means to put others above ourselves but i pray that all that we've learned today will stay in our hearts i pray that with all we've read and studied comes the wisdom to apply it to our day-to-day lives thank you lord um in jesus name amen 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 all right let me share uh benediction graciously provided to us by Ayambuki. i will keep saying that till the end jt um and then we would call it a day hold on ish ayo Please enable participant sharing. You don't have to make me host. Just enable. I'm so sorry. I always. I, it's me. It's my settings as well. I don't. I never enable it. I should change it. Um, is it able now? On there. I'm just gonna make you host. Okay. Cool. Um, let me share my screen. All right. So unmute yourselves and let us read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am By the word, I am And in the word, my spirit All right. All right. The way you say glory, God will judge it. All right, guys. Love you all. I'll see you same time next week. Um, First Corinthians chapter ten. Share with someone that needs it. Invite someone to come learn, and I will see you next week. Have a great week. <laughs>